0: Welcome to Dragon Talk, the official Dungeon of the Dragons podcast. I'm Greg Tito. I'm here with Shelley Mazzanoble Noble, noble. noble.
1: <laughs> Hi, Greg Tito. Hi. How you doing? Good. Good.
0: I uh, talked to some uh, uh, crazy people in the office today uh, about Tyrants of the Underdark. Awesome. Sad you couldn't make it. I think you had to do something really important. Uh, I had to go to the gym. Uh, at the time. Yeah, I think you were at the gym. Yeah. Yeah, right. I had to go run on a treadmill. Yeah, and you were like, bros before nothing
1: i was like to treadmills before
0: podcasting <laughs> just kidding i had stuff i did have important work things to do it's true it's related true. to avalon hill exciting exactly. opportunities. Yeah, so we uh, uh, I talked to them about uh, uh, the board game uh, that Gail published. It mm-hmm. uh, should be out very soon, if not very that right now. It in was internally. Yeah, designed yeah. Uh, here. Uh, Peter Lee, Andrew Veen, and Rodney Thompson, before he went into the great unknown of video games, mm-hmm. uh, made this amazing game. It's a deck builder, territory control. Uh, we get into what those words mean in case you weren't, I don't know, but it's a board game set in the D&D universe. It's set in the Underdark. Menzo Baran. And, uh, uh, is a major location as well as all the other places in the Underdark. dark. You know, if you played the Out of the Abyss campaign, you might uh, know a little bit
1: yeah, yeah. about
0: what happens underneath uh, the Forgotten or Realms. Or if you watched your podcast that you DM'd. That's right. Mm-hmm. You can go ahead and check that out. It's on YouTube's uh, The D&D Live, Out of the Abyss. Uh, yeah, that yeah. was a fun time. I, yeah. I really I really had a good time with that. Um, so if you felt like you wanted to play a deck building uh, territory control game set in that world well then right we got you covered. But we'll find out more about that but before that uh, uh, I have a few announcements that I wanted to talk about. <gasps> and? Storm King's Thunder is coming out very soon. It's only going to be like a month or two away. It's crazy. crazy. End of it August uh, beginning of September depending on if you buy your uh, D&D campaigns through uh, game stores or if you buy them online um and uh all of our fun shows are like leading up to it. so we got the penny arcade the uh Acrythians incorporated the series uh that chris perkins led uh with those gang uh is uh is awesome it's got some awesome uh interesting previews for storm king's thunder happening in there as well we have another show called force gray giant hunters uh which was uh filmed at uh, in los angeles at the meltdown comic store in the back room uh, the awesome Nerdist, event. Awesome. It was tons of fun. The uh, Nerdist guys put together a, a, a great looking uh, a set uh, that has comedians like Jonah Ray, Chris Hardwick, uh, actors like Ashley Johnson and Matthew Mercer, leads the whole party uh, through some amazing fun stuff. And we actually have uh, some uh, a segment called Lore You Should Know about what Force Gray is uh, and its history.
2: Oh, cool. It's
0: history in, in D&D, yeah, in the Forgotten Realms. It's actually well, Ed Greenwood, uh, actually, I think might have been the person who first kind of introduced it. so yeah, Probably. It's kind of amazing. It's like this little super group of uh, adventurers that ca- are oh, called on. Oh, I want to hear that because by... I actually, I didn't know. Yeah, I, I know. know. I don't think a lot of our fans do. I don't know what it means. Yeah, it's actually, it, it, it's not made up. It's actually from the history of the realm. It's pretty cool. It's, it, it's, a, it's a cool name. I like the sound of it. Force Grey. Yeah. Yeah, that means that they're, you know, they're not black, they're not white, they're gray. Yeah, mm-hmm. and Force Yeah, exactly. And a force to be reckoned Yeah, like Fox Force (laughs) (laughs) 5. Awesome. Uh, So uh, this podcast uh, is on iTunes, so please rate and review uh, uh, and uh, let us know what you think. We're always looking for more and interesting feedback. Um, I'm also on Twitter. I'm at Greg Tito. You can message me there. You can message uh, Shelly. At Shelly Moo. At Shelly Moo. We love your suggestions when you tell us you should talk to so-and-so on the show. Yeah, those are super helpful. Bring it. Um, And... uh, you can always find out things going on at uh, DungeonsandDragons.com uh, before we get to our my interview with uh, uh, Peter 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 Lee and Andrew Veen about Times of the Island we're going to do Lore You Should Know so let's go uh, move to a new segment Lore You Should Know boom I am Greg Tito, and welcome to Lore You Should Know. I am joined uh, by the illustrious Matt Cernit. Hello. Howdy. And Adam Lee. Hello. Hello. And we are going to talk about Force Grey today. Uh, Force Grey we announced uh, at the D&D Live from Meltdown uh, uh, and actually have been playing it uh, for a while now, every week. uh, Some amazing comedians uh, such as Brian Prasane and uh, uh, Shelby Farrow Uh, Allison, uh, I'm sorry, Ashley Johnson, a bunch of other people are playing a whole bunch of characters in a new version of uh, Force Grey, which is a a group that's been around for a long time. So Adam, uh, what can you tell us
2: about Force Grey in the Forgotten Realms? Well, um, the new version of Force Grey, uh, as far as um, it's kind of, they're kind of the delta forces of... you know, water deep. They're these uh, heroes that uh, are picked by Laryl Silverhand, who is now the Open Lord. Um, they can also filter in through any other Vajra, the Blackstaff. She's on the lookout for heroes who can help defend the the city in time of need. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're these elite heroes that are chosen. There's usually not more than twelve of them at a time, and uh, they can be called upon at any time to deal with you know terrible. Uh, catastrophes that might befall the, the city. Um, the But the ancient history of Force Grey goes way back in the time machine. <laughs> and we will go to Matt for the lore and the in-depth dive and where Force Grey came from and sort of how they uh, kind of arrived at where they're at now.
3: Excellent. So I think Force Grey started with... Um, it might have been Jeff Grubb and Ed Greenwood doing City System. And I think it's probably something that appeared there first as opposed to in Dragon Magazine, but I might be wrong about that. But the City System box set was a box set about Waterdeep that basically just gave you um, a bunch of giant maps, poster-sized maps that you put together to make a Waterdeep and then a pamphlet of a lot of random tables and just sort of map references Mm -hmm. but in amongst that was this reference to Force Grey which was this group of um, just like I think five or six different people and they were sort of like this weird superhero force that would get called on and they were uh, this like extrajudicial group that Mm -hmm. would just be able to do whatever needed to be done and they had, were different, funky personalities, um, and including Harshnag the Grim, a frost giant, which was a very you know sort of strange and startling thing to read about. You know there being a frost giant that would work for the city <laughs> at some point, point. and uh, that uh, idea was picked up um, and evolved a little bit in later products. New members were added to the team. Um, And so up until like third edition, though, the roster was pretty consistent. Um, uh, I think there was the City of Splendor's book that was done, and that's the last really that we saw of uh, Force Grey until now. Interesting. So it was kind of like a superhero slash uh, uh,
0: uh, elite police force. That would go in and do things at the behest of the Open uh, Lord of Waterdeep uh, yeah. all the time,
3: or would they do things on their own? So um, I don't really know. Like, it's not really well explained. You know how they would get called upon. Uh, There's not I, a,
0: a bat single, a signal signal yeah, on the <laughs> the clouds. I
3: imagine it was it was something simply simply magical in the sense of uh, you know like speaking stones or or whatever. Um, but it, it does really feel like it would have been. Uh, like somebody would you know hit the button or, or call pick up the red telephone. The lever, yeah. you know? <laughs> and, like, and like suddenly these, these things, these uh, people would would appear. And the fun thing about them is that basically they don't have to follow any of the laws of the city. So it really doesn't matter to uh, them or the people who call them how much carnage. They cause it's if they stop the threat to the city, that's their job. So you know, and they <laughs> like, can nice. wreck a quarter of the city doing that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's a really fun, fun concept, uh, you know, because in um, in new stories with the Forest Gray, you know, we could imagine a scenario where you know they call some people out to do some extra spying stuff or something like that in Waterdeep. And because there's some threat to the city, but it still requires some delicacy, you know, mm-hmm. like it requires you have to go to, you know, uh, costume balls and, uh, you know, sneak into the, the noble's library and pick a lock and do all those kinds of right. things. So right. So instead of the, the common adventurer tropes
0: of like going into jungles and just killing everything you see, it, there's a little bit of a spy, uh, uh, you know, urban intrigue right. element to to their power set.
3: Right. And and then, you know, when things go south, suddenly Harshnag crashes through the wall. And <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and you know, then things go south. Nice. So you further. said there was there was there was Harshnag who were some of the other members
0: of uh the so, Force Grey? So
3: originally there was also uh, Asper who was like a, a sort of sp- um, spellcaster fighter. Uh, there's uh, my my favorite is uh Heruse of Asoran because he's Asoran's the um, uh, the gosh what is that oh, area of the realms it is like Greece sort of <laughs> um, anyways he's he Asoran's the uh, that version of um, uh, Hor the Doombringer, who's the god of vengeance, um, and so, you know, he basically his his old job basically is when he gets let loose is to just he figures there's something I have to come out and avenge, right? Like I'm I'm here to kill people, yeah. right? Like <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> and, have a mission. Yeah, and then there's uh, there's a Cariolis, um, and he, that's another sort of sorcerer type character, um, and there was Jardwim, um, which was a a fighter ranger type. And, uh, you know, he, again, is sort of the main leader of the group in the old days. And basically, he figures like if they get called, it means it's time for lethal force, right? Like it's an actual emergency. You know, somebody's, somebody's basically fired the nukes. Right, and we are we are the nukes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and and so you know they 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 would come in guns blazing, and I think in, in a new version of, of Force Gray, we would, we would want both that idea that they can come in guns blazing and just be the nukes, but they might also be called in to do more you know secretive stuff and things yeah. like that. Yeah, excellent.
2: I feel like the old Force Gray were were way super overpowered kind of characters, and in this new sort of version of Force Gray that we're seeing in like the, with the Meltdown Crew. Um, we're kind of having them be, you know, start off as sort of early mid-level characters and you kind of get that feeling of, you know, this is sort of the origin story of a super team, you know, how Mm. they come to, you know, at first they're, you know, learning how to use their powers. They're learning how to defend a city. They're learning how to be heroes and, um, and then they're also learning how to bond and, and work together and also working out their differences, you know? Um, but eventually they'll, you know, get to that level. I, you know, I also think where we're talking about in sort of the the meetings, where we're like, you know, is Laurel Silverhand going to, you know, kind of hire a bunch of, you know, super powered psychopaths to be this fourth grade team is like, no, you know, you're, she's learned that lesson, you know, okay, lesson learned, you know, we don't want to do that. So she's kind of picked a sort of more moderate, like. Temperament uh, and to sort of be sort of the defenders of her sort of city interesting So they're more like uh, uh, instead of just the the most powerful heroes. They're actually uh,
0: uh, a balance of alignments there to be yeah. so to speak where there there'd be
2: like, yeah. you know, spider-man super powerful and yeah if you went rogue, it would be bad for New York but you're not going to hire, like, Dr. Manhattan, you know, because right. he's just like, Ugh, and... He's so powerful. You know, that it, yeah, yeah right. but he's just going to run his own ship. He's like, I'm, I'm more powerful than Waterdeep. I'm more powerful than your authority.
3: I'm going to run it
2: my way. And, you know, who knows what that's going to look like, so... No. Yeah, you know.
3: Leryl's definitely a character that would um, pick the right tool for the job. Yeah. Right, and, and uh, she's, you know, she's, like, 700 years old and has... She, at one point, she was like a Viking queen, essentially, of the North. Um, so, uh, you know, she's seen a lot and done a lot, and she has uh, enormous experience. And so she's she's making solid choices for good reasons. Yeah,
2: and yeah. we also have this, like, cool interplay between Laryl and Vajra. Like, Vajra's now the Black Staff, and she's got the spirit of Kelvin in the Black Staff that used to be sort of Laryl's old flame. And so there's kind of like this triangle between the three of them. Like Vajra's up and coming as a mage. She's super powerful, but she's still got a lot to learn. Mm-hmm. And there's this neat thing of like who's controlling sort of what goes on in Waterdeep. You know, Leryl's in control of one area, but Vashra's, you know, sort of coming into her own rights. And Kelvin's sort of this sort of right. X factor in the middle of it all. Right,
3: you know, Kelvin is, is in the staff in theory and yet, you know, not going back to Leryl right like that yeah that, that's not happening so he, and <laughs> Kelvin's always been this weird sort of spider figure who is controlling things and making all these strange decisions and yeah. often uh, very sort of calculated and uh, um, very sort of dark decisions in order for the greater good and so then you know I think Leryl always has to basically look at Vajra and say okay why is Vajra doing what she's doing? Mm. You know? <laughs> yeah. Is it because Kelvin told her to? Yeah. Is it is is she doing is she doing what Kelvin told her to? Yeah, right. Like there's the, so, there's really fun interplay if we ever get into that. And oh, the yeah. funny thing is that none of this is uh, canon
0: for my Lords of Waterdeep games that I play. <laughs> <laughs> none of this makes any sense. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, okay, great. So, what are some uh, uh, some of the new characters for Force Gray that I know uh, you, Adam, had a yeah. lot of fun yeah. uh, well, helping to create with the uh, the actors and. Really fun.
2: Yeah, we uh, we came up with a bunch of characters. We came up with uh, Calliope, who's this uh, bard who um, she has kind of sort of temper management issues. Um, she starts <laughs> off all like melodic and lovely and, and then can just whip out the loot and smash you over the head. And kind of one of the running jokes is that she's always got new loots because she smashed the other one. <laughs> And, Not um, uh,
0: new new uh, uh, equipment,
2: but new uh, new money. <laughs> yeah, Not new <laughs> loot, but new actual loot. L-U-T-E-S. Yeah. Well, she'll need new loots for the loots. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, so uh, nice. she was a lot of fun to come up with. Yeah, um, she's played
0: by Brian Passane, which is kind of interesting yeah, in this. Like, I'm, I'm you dying know, to see where he goes with this. I'm, me um, too.
2: You know, we, we wrote like little notes on the character like, well, it could be this. But really, we are kind of just unleashing this to the whims of the talent. And uh, it'll be fun to see what they create. It's true. Um, Hitch. Uh, is a sort of your, you know, sly rogue with a shady past, uh, mm-hmm. maybe connected with the Zentara at one point. Um, and Hitch actually, I don't know if uh, uh, fans have made this connection yet, but he is actually
0: on the cover of the Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide. Yes, is that correct? Is.
2: Yes, he is. Yep, uh, we pulled him from there. We we had ideas for him early on. We were like, this—he's going to be somebody. He's going to be um, definitely feature in Waterdeep. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the the fun things we liked was that you know. Hitch knows Waterdeep inside and out, and he um, Waterdeep kind of helps him as much as he helps Waterdeep. Um, he's not quite a Batman figure of Waterdeep, but he's definitely uh, sort of loves the city and and will you know kind of lay down his his life for it. Nice. Um, and then we have Browin, um, chain miner. Um, she's like Hitch's buddy. Mm-hmm. Um, she's the dwarf uh, fighter. Um, she's he, she and Hitch kind of grew up together. Uh, she went sort of the good responsible path. Hitch went sort of the shady. I'm gonna kind of duck out and do whatever path. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Browning's always been sort of the solid uh, ground for him to kind of return to when he needs a like a couch to crash on or he needs to, like uh, you know evade the law. Um, so they're kind of had this sort of interplay. It'll be interesting to see how they play that out. Um, She's played by Shelby Farrow. Shelby Farrow, yeah, which yeah. should be interesting. So that'll be interesting. Um, of course, Dagny Halvor, which is um, Ashley's character. Um, it was we were you know thinking about like well you know we got like this tinkerer and that's sort of a cleric, but you know um, worships Gond, which is sort of the, the the god of you know sort of invention and originally it was going to be a gnome but then i forget who it was said well what about we make it a half-orc you know just like what about this crazy sort of interplay like you a half-orc tinker so mm-hmm. um, so that one came up and then we gave her a bunch of cool gizmos and gadgets to play with um, you know a lot of when we were thinking about creating these characters we were like what would be fun to you know for a player to actually kind of groove with as they're as they're playing their character so i think uh, ashley's going to have a lot of fun like coming up with cool things for her little automaton and, and her little inventions as she goes through the mission. Yeah, um, it's going to be fun. And then the other uh, character was Joppa. Then, that was the last one that got made. It mm. was, um, you know, <laughs> we got to this point where we're like, we need one more character. So um, I got in a room with uh, Chris and Richard, and and we started shooting ideas back around. And there was a, a was char- Chris Perkins, Perkins and, and Richard Witters. And Richard Witters from the yeah. story team. And so there was this one character Perkins had mentioned a while back. It was like, he's like, well, it would be fun to do a monk, you know, just like this really kind of enigmatic, kind of quizzical monk. And he's got this fishing pole, and that's all he's got, you know. And so uh, I kind of dredged that one up. And I was like, well, what about this guy? And I... know well, what. so this fishing pole does everything like you can make a tent out of it you can like has a sling you can play an instrument you know it's like a single (laughs) string (laughs) (laughs) bass yeah (laughs) he does all this and then you know i sort of i fleshed out the character a bit more and uh you know came up with this uh this cool character i think would be really fun nice Um, and jonah ray
0: jumped onto that uh, uh, so much during the uh (laughs) uh the show it's gonna be fun
2: yeah, so it's exciting, you know. Uh, part of the fun was was generating it, but another part of the fun is seeing where everybody takes it.
0: Yeah. Um, well, we
2: forgot about one character though the uh, the sun elf wizard. Oh, the sun elf wizard. Yeah, Glendon. Um, he, uh, you know, there's always been this idea that you know, when you, you know, all the D and D major characters we, we don't have like where's our elf wizard, you know, like this iconic uh, figure, and uh, and so you know, in fact, Jeremy Crawford was saying, he was kind of recommending like to us like, hey, you know an elf wizard would be really cool and so uh, so yeah we, we went in and just started workshopping this wizard and we came up with this sort of like cloistered student who you know he's lived in towers all his life in books and at some point it was like you gotta get out there in the real world and so I gave him this little pseudo dragon mm. um, Marissa who is sort of kind of like his Jiminy Cricket in a way but she's kind of more pushing him to sort of experience the world in actuality instead of just conceptually And, uh, so it'll be fun to see what, you know, he, you know, as he goes out into the world, he's encountering all his friends and, you know, it's sort of melting his cold elfin heart in a way, you know, he's, he lives up in his head and now he's kind of coming down into his heart a bit and he really cares about his friends, but he may not know how to express it. And so there's this sort of, um, you know, arc of that character to see, you know, you know, he's, he's learning about love and friendship. and camaraderie so Aww. I know it's nice. very touching well hopefully Chris Hardwick can pull that off yes uh, uh, as he plays. I'm sure he'll just kill everything with fireballs and be <laughs> just, just like a, a, main, a menace to society and, nice. and you know that, that'll be that alright so if yeah. people
0: want to uh, learn more about Force Grey where uh, what were some of the uh, I think you mentioned them early on Matt uh, City
3: of Splendors is that where there's yeah there's there's actually two products called City of Splendors there's, uh, <laughs> Waterdeep City of Splendors uh, there's the third edition one and there's the second edition one um, both of them have information about Force Grey. And then the original thing, I believe, is uh, called, just called City System. Um, and that's an earlier product that, again, I think is probably available on this yeah. And uh, on dndclassics.com,
0: go ahead and check those out there. Awesome. Great. Thanks, yeah. you guys. Uh, yeah. uh, that was Lore You Should Know about Force Grey. And uh, we'll be back with more topics over the course of the summer. Thanks, guys.
2: Thanks. Yeah, fun.
0: What do you think about that, Shelly? That was a pretty interesting little conversation. I love it. It was great. All I right. I so am very knowledgeable now. You need to take off. Yeah. Right? You're yeah. not going to be here for the interview uh, mm. uh, about time to the end. So go have fun. Go do your work. Okay. Make it happen. Sorry. I'm going to go sit down with these, with these fine gentlemen. Have fun. All right. There's like too many cooks in this kitchen anyway. It's you know, true. Or there's only three microphones. So. Yeah. So
1: <laughs> one of us has to go. <laughs> <laughs> All right.
0: Shelley's done now. <laughs> <laughs> I am here with uh, two amazing people. Um, I am here with uh, Andrew Veen. Hello. And Pete. Hello. What's going on, Peter Lee? Uh, not
1: much. I haven't seen you in like a long time. Well, it's been it's been a while. It's yeah. been quite a while.
0: Yeah. Uh, so, uh, for those of you who don't know, Peter Lee uh, used to be on the Dungeons and Dragons team. Uh, mm-hmm. Designed a lot of amazing stuff. What, what were some of your uh, your highlights from when you were on the D and D team? Oh, what, what good
1: lord. People um, from. I was involved with D&D miniatures for a couple of years so uh, a lot of the, the later sets I was a lead designer for and I'm pretty proud of things like Savage Encounters which is one of my favorite sets oh, That's a good set. Uh, after that um, I started working on on almost all of the D&D board games <laughs> uh, so Castle Ravenloft was the first one I, I worked on all of the Adventure System games um, but the one that I'm probably most known for is the one I did with uh, Ronnie Thompson's uh, Lords of Waterdeep. I've heard of that one. Yeah, really? yeah. that one is heard, uh, popular among like some it. some folks. Yeah.
0: yeah, nice
4: cult cult hit. Yeah.
0: Um, uh, and Andrew, you uh, are on uh, you on the magic team, correct? Uh, or dual so masters? So I'm
4: half magic, half dual masters. Yeah, primarily dual masters. Um, I was brought on as a contractor for Kaijudo. And kept on for Duel Masters, which is the Japanese language version of Kaijudo. Uh, it's actually the inverse, but uh, <laughs> I've, done, I've done my uh, uh, couple of things on Magic. I was on the Shadows of Erindistra design team, and I'm doing the um, Duels of the Planeswalkers campaign for Aether Revolt. It's uh, I always have to double check that I can say that set name out loud, uh, but that uh, we did we did release the name. Uh, super excited for it, but yeah, most, mostly um, Duel Masters, and uh, I did a stint on a couple of D&D projects, one of which has actually come to fruition. So yeah.
0: nice, and we'll get uh, uh, to talking more about Tyrants of the Underdark, yeah. uh, the new game, King. It's uh, published by Gail First but was designed uh, by the two of you along with uh, uh, Rodney Thompson. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but first, uh, we always like to talk about, uh, and and Shelly's not here to to, to prompt me. Uh, but where where did you start playing Dungeons and Dragons? Where was your you know your your origin story moment? When did you first touch the secret of the ooze and turn into a, a teenage mutant ninja turtle who plays D and D?
1: Um, for me, I, uh, was probably around seven or eight years old back in 1981 or 82 or something like that. <laughs> Everybody um, do the quick math of how old Pete people- is. <laughs> <laughs> My, um, brother, uh, was in piano lessons and I remember as, a uh, uh congratulations, you, you did it. Older brother. Uh, he got, uh, uh, one of the original, uh, blue box, I think, uh copies of, of Dungeons and & Dragons, and he wouldn't let me read it at all. But he realized eventually that he needed players, so uh, I was uh, one of his players. How much older uh, was Three he? Years. Three, Three years. Three years older. All right, so that's a
0: good age. You know, you guys, he didn't seem like he was uh, uh, too arcane and no, knew too no, much no, more than you did. No,
1: um, no, and, and we played, I remember going through, like, uh, B one, B two, that uh, those old adventures. Uh, then we found uh, the dungeon board game, and that was what really sort of got my interest. Uh, oh, that's cool! All of the, you know, the monsters and, and so forth that you you saw in that game, and right. the, and. and as normal, the, the thing that really attracts me is this thing that is slightly to the side of, of normal role-playing, and that is uh, that, that first board game. And, and that's where I really fell in love with the brand.
0: That's interesting, and then that has continued yeah. uh, uh, throughout. And, yeah. and, and you're concentrating more on, on the board game, more structured play of, yeah. of uh, the Dungeons and the Dragon stuff,
1: you know, from yeah. the miniatures. A lot of, yeah, my, my, I seem to focus on auxiliary projects a lot of the time. <laughs> Both for this and for Magic. Interesting. Seems,
0: yeah, uh, that's cool that you can trace it all the way back to those uh, those those first few times with yep. the brand. With the brand. What about you, uh, Andrew?
4: Uh, so I had uh, I'd picked up an old board game. I think it was a uh, Milton Bradley. It was Hero Quest. Mm. And. Uh, I loved the the minis and the board, and I loved how modular it was and how replayable it was. And I thought it was super interesting that it was asymmetrical, like one person was in charge and the other people were like leveling characters and playing. And there was a persistent game session, and that was so interesting to me. Uh, and this was middle school, and a friend of mine was like, "Oh yeah, this is just like very watered down, very codified D and D." And I was like, "What is what is D and D?" So uh, we played some uh, second edition, just AD and D, uh, and I absolutely loved it and it was uh just before third edition dropped Uh, and then when third edition dropped i got more serious we had like a weekly recurring group where we played through a lot of the the classics like that's when i first played in Fairune, that's when i first did uh the city of the spider queen tree and things like that and then i ended up getting a job at uh, wizards of the coast retail store back when those existed and when three five happened, and I had um, disposable income and access to the books, uh, <laughs> that uh, that was mostly where I D and D. So it was coworkers and friends that uh, from school. Uh, I slowed down in college when I started picking up more magic, and I got more competitive into magic, and uh, I moved away from my play group. But um, when I moved to St. Louis, and then when I moved to Portland, and then when I moved to here, I always found more people to game with. Um, I think the last D D game that I played. Uh, was a um, madness at Gardmore Abbey game, mm. uh, which I thought was a just a fantastic product. Uh, I thought it was super cool that you got to actually interact with the uh, you know, deck of many things. Mm. Like that's something that I've I'd read about since I was a little kid, and uh, like actually getting to to play with it and have a um, it was a it was a like not combat focused uh, adventure, but there was a lot of like structured combat around the effects of the cards, and I thought that that was super cool. Uh, and I continue to think that it's just the most creative board game. So I'm, I'm more on the board. I'm more uh, tactical about it these days. But um, I still love the high concept, no board, everything's in your head games as well.
0: That first uh, uh, taste of the decky many things when you just, sort of
4: like, I'm gonna, I'm drawing another one. I'm yep.
0: drawing another one. Yep. It's like this double or nothing feel. Let it like, ride. Yeah. You know <laughs> yeah. <I> mean. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and stop. Uh, it, it's so fun uh, when a DM introduces that into any any campaign, so I get that. So were you uh, when you were playing, were you more of a, a dungeon master or a player?
4: So I started as a player, uh, I guess, obviously. And the more I played, the more I realized that uh, I wanted to know and I wanted to be creating the fun uh, and mm-hmm. sort of guiding how people were interacting with it. Um, so I, I started becoming more of a dungeon master as time went on. Um, I was very happy to be almost 100% Dungeon Master in the post-college, uh, pre-Seattle years, but then I sort of missed playing, and so now I think if I got back into it, I'd want to play before I got back into DMing, but DMing was super rewarding. I liked figuring out, like, what each of my different players uh, got from the game and what made them tick and, you know, this why this person liked this adventure and why that person liked that adventure, mm. uh, and trying to integrate that into a campaign. Um, the first time I realized that you can split up the party, like... Uh, have have a scene that runs one way for one group of people, and a scene that runs another way for a different group of people. Um, it it was it was one of the the activities that I stick with. Where the more I poured into it, the more I got out of it. Which is why I like magic and D and D and games like that, as opposed to games where you can figure them out. And there's basically uh, a set point where once you've dumped enough energy into it, the the return starts getting. Uh, less favorable, but D&D is just never that way for me.
0: It's like an exploding uh, exploding dice of of fun. (laughs) I can see that. Uh, All right, so let's talk to uh, about Tyrants of the Underdog. Mm -hmm. Uh, 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 Pete, you were there when this first idea uh, uh, was generated with you and Rodney. Can you talk a little bit about where you guys were after you designed Lawrence of Waterdeep and how you kind of came up with this idea?
1: See, this was a couple of years after Waterdeep. We were sitting down. We always wanted to do a game that was sort of set in, in Menzel Branson, uh some sort of drow intrigue card game. Because mm-hmm.
0: you had said actually to me in the office a couple of days ago that the intrigue cards in Waterdeep was what you thought it was one of the most interesting aspects, yeah. aspects of it. So it you would, were building the, on that? The
1: uh, Some, um, it was more, uh, even when, when we had like, Hired uh, Chris Dupuy into mm-hmm. into D anD D. We we even wanted to do uh, a, a game based in Waterdeep or uh, based in Ends with that. And I remember in his interview, he had a, a an interesting game mechanic. Um, <laughs> I do that's always the this, best yeah. place yeah. to drop to get a new game. Well, no. Part of the interview was we gave we gave him a box of stuff and gave him an hour and told him to make a game it's um, basically a scene from apollo 13 with a lot lower stakes yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Here> <laughs> yeah all exactly the here we here have little, to yeah. get these people home yeah. and slash it was, it was kill a, lots
0: of dark elves
1: a fantastic exercise and and he came up with a, a, a fun mechanic we didn't end up using it for this game but it was that that tells you how early we've been thinking about wanting to to that's use what Menzel was, Branson. what set. year was that oh uh, that would have been 2012,
0: 2012 I think okay um, so yeah it was a germ in your in your heads for a long time yeah
1: um anyway uh and another conversation that's always come up is you know why hasn't DD done a, a deck builder uh, and it it's always on my mind and and I've always avoided that design because there's so many of them that the space is very crowded and and what can we do that is you know, different and unique. Okay. Um, so
0: for uh, uh, people listening to the podcast who may not know, uh, what is a deck builder? What's the definition of a, okay. uh, a deck
1: builder? A deck builder is a game where you have a, a deck of cards that you are able to change throughout the course of the game. So um, the you you basically, the, the typical way is you purchase cards in some way. They go on your deck. You, you cycle through your deck many times during a game so you see the evolution of uh, your game. Your deck getting stronger throughout the course uh, of the game,
0: and most of them have like starting cards that are not yeah. that powerful, the, and then you filter in more yeah. better ones, and then get the the less valuable cards filtered out.
1: Exactly, exactly. Um, when we were early in, it, uh, in 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 Tyrants, we we were thinking, what well, what happens if we have a, a sort of a worker placement crossed with the deck builder, mm. where where uh, the cards enabled you to to place workers, and then we th- realized that five workers is not enough for one of these games, but what happens if you have forces and you have 40 and then you're starting to take little territories and then that, once we found that sort of gameplay and went more and more towards the map, uh, the game sort of came into um, vision and started to be, to be fun. And, and that's about the time when we started talking to Andrew. Interesting.
0: Okay. So uh, w- when uh, uh, they pitched this idea to you, what was it like? What was the, the meeting like? So uh,
4: it was basically, we've been kicking around this idea, and uh, we want you to play this game and see what you think. And so I came in first as like a, a demo play tester. Like it was super pre-alpha, very prototypey, And it looks honestly very little like what it does today, but uh, we played it, and at the end it was like, wow, this game is great. I want to play it again. Uh, but the developer in me found something to break and I abused it, scored a lot of points and thought, this is super cool, but I want to go back in and, and, you know, undo the thing that that let me do that and maybe layer some other things on top of it. And they said, well, you know, uh, we... We were looking for another designer, and we actually asked, and if we could have you, and do you do you want to come and be a part of the team? And it, yes, absolutely, please. <laughs> like, <laughs> how can I help make this game? Uh, but so, was, what was it
0: about that? I mean, I think uh, in all talking about this game, everyone has always said there was like we found the fun. Like there was just like this undeniably fun moment where you know you you played this game and you want to play it again. Yeah. In so, Atlanta.
4: so what what is it? What would what, what makes this? For me, what was fun was uh, I've I, as a longtime magic player I like the the idea of um, playing a game with the deck and modifying a deck and making choices based on based on that so this it, it was something that made into it a sense to me and I played other deck builders in the genre before but uh, they're all they were all very abstract um, and this game was uh, two games that I liked. Uh, very chocolate peanut butter smashed together. Like, I like area control games, and I like deck builders, and this was a game that was very clearly trying to be a deck builder area control game. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I liked the idea that um, you could raise the level of interaction in a deck builder by creating a board uh, instead of it having sort of a multiplayer solitaire feel to it when you're making different optimization engines. Like, some games do that very well, uh, but those games, to me, are uh, for a different sort of player than the player that wants interactivity and they want a back and forth swing and they want uh, that sort of uh, conflict that many deck builders don't have and this felt like an excellent way to do that Uh, and with the variability of the market deck instead of you know piles of cards that you can always buy from and with the board mattering and uh, end game scoring being based on uh, different things at the time there were actually scoring rounds and the scoring didn't work anywhere near like what it does now but i could see that it was what I wanted from a deck builder and what I wanted from a territory control game uh, in one game. And it, So I've talked about how the deck building aspect was better. The, the reason I like the territory control aspect better is in a territory control game that doesn't involve dice, there's often just a correct play. There's a thing to do. And so with no variance, you're just doing the right thing. And in this game, uh, because you can't just always take the action you want to take, you have to take the action as dictated by your hand and, and therefore your deck. Um, there were actual decisions to be made uh, throughout the game instead of just during the early game or during the end game. Like you're making a decision each and every turn based on what you're capable of doing not what you would ideally like to do and maximizing those type of situations is what makes board gaming fun for me.
0: And there is something about it being like you after you complete a game of Tyrants in the Underdark, you immediately see three different things you should have done differently. Oh, yeah. And, and, and you want to play again because you're like, oh, I want to get that, that, that engine going. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about um, uh, uh, the different uh, uh, flavor uh, that each of the uh, uh, houses kind of bring to it the um, aspects
1: yeah so that is something that that uh, Vein is probably best to talk about <laughs> oh, nice. okay. uh, so one okay. of the things he did right when I mean right when he came in with with a lot of his uh, magic experience uh, and and, and uh, dual masters experience mm-hmm. uh, the idea of, of a color pie was was quite important and
4: yeah that's that's where the aspects came from is just 100% a color pie like uh, I I have played magic and I helped make dual masters and the what makes them work is uh, the color pie. So the underlying philosophy of what different um, what different resources can do and what mechanics you can divvy up and not give to uh, every faction is the, the interplay between that is what makes the colors of magic interesting and the civilizations of Duel Masters interesting. And I thought that uh, you could take all of the things that were um, profitable or interesting or fun to do in, in this game and divide them up among different strategies and silo them. So make, make one faction really good at controlling the board, make one faction really good at getting a lot of troops out, make one faction really good at, uh, at uh, killing opposing troops, make one faction really good at purchasing new cards, make one faction really good at streamlining the deck, uh, and make one faction really good at um, uh, mobility. Mm-hmm. And so once we had uh, sort of def- defined what the uh, beneficial things to do in the game were, We started grouping them together in terms of like okay well what makes sense in the deck that's good at purging the deck and making the deck streamlined well we probably want to give them the the ability to purchase better cards but make sure that they are very bad at interacting with the board so one aspect can't be totally self-contained um and with that we started thinking about how long we wanted the game to be how we wanted each aspect to score points uh what we wanted the um I wanna say as fan, which is a magic term that says like, what? how often do we want certain mechanics to show up in each half deck to ensure that the game has the, the number of that effect on cards that we want to see. Uh, and then everything sort of came down from the color pie. Um, it was originally five, just because that's what we're used to in all the other games, but it really made sense as four. So we divvied up what was the fifth color uh, among the other aspects. And then you're left with the aspects that you see today. Uh, and then the rest of it was making sure that each aspect was independently fun, had a, a, a significant weakness, and uh, focused on its strength such that the thing that it was good at, it was uh, very obviously good at relative to the other aspects. So you could, you could look at an Ambition card and say, like, that is fantastic at promotion. There's There are no other cards that can do something at that level, at that rate, uh, per resources input. And then you look at the other factions, and it's like, well, Ambition can't do that. And so that's what's fun. the The, the hook that gets you to want to play again is when you see both better ways to execute on just one aspect but also the cross-aspect synergies like when you see oh i I really enjoyed playing malice because it's it was a lot of fun to to assassinate the other players troops i wonder how fun that is if i have spies and i can teleport around the board and kill everyone uh and so like looking at guile malice is fun looking at conquest ambition is fun like ambition's bad at getting on the board conquest is fantastic at it how what what is the deck that is good at Uh, both halves of that look like is that fun to play Mm. and so there's, there's always something to learn there's always a different deck to play uh, and there's always like even if you're just seated differently in turn order, like uh, if I was in front of Pete, I would have been able to buy this card that he ended up getting. So I had to change my strategy based on that. But if we played the same game again and we were just in a different order, it would have been different.
0: It does have like a like a magic draft kind of feel to it, where it really mm-hmm, is definitely. dependent on, and, and you, you make choices based on not only what you want, but what you don't want to, uh, your your opponents to have as well. Yep. Uh, which which makes it very interesting. You are going to end up with stuff that's totally not what you had wanted your deck to be, but is suddenly because you're trying to take that away from uh, uh, the other players. You are that's what you are. That's what you're playing right now. Uh, so you mentioned the spies uh, real quickly. You want to talk a little bit about um, uh, uh, how they work uh, on the board?
1: Okay. Um, so in the final game, <laughs> yeah. yeah, they went through it. They went through a lot so of iterations. I'll, I'll go through how they started. Okay. Um, yeah, originally, we had uh, the the squares on the board. We have we had different color squares. Um, so most of them were white, uh, the ones in, in cities. There I think. were a couple of them in cities and a
4: couple just off in the corners that were blue.
1: Yeah, and, and what that meant is the blue ones you could not, you know, deploy troops in unless you had uh, a special card that allowed you to deploy onto blue squares. Mm-hmm. And and then uh, uh, that sort of evolved into splitting the troops into um, both the troops and the spies. Uh, Troops is that the final name? Yeah, troops okay. is right. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it's been a while. Um, so the uh, the the spies instead of going into into specific uh, locations on the board, they they they're now just set in in, in sites because uh, it didn't really make a lot of sense for a, a spy to be put in the middle of uh, a route in between it, two. It could two only places. go a place where you knew exactly where it was going. Yeah, it went it went to the intersection of this road and that road, and he couldn't go anywhere else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> So uh, uh, that that mechanic evolved from from that, uh, and and then that became the the focus of, of sort of the the guile the guile, ha- the guile uh, aspect. yeah thank you the guile aspect. Yes. The, um, the first
4: change was actually to try to see if it was fun to be able to play on blue squares even if you weren't next to them. So the idea was like you could play the the card that let you place on blue. And originally it was when you placed a card that said you can place troops on blue, you could place it on a white square as well. So spies were just, like, strictly better troops. Mm. Um, and then it was like, well, is this, is this fun? Do we want to make people get these cards? And so basically everyone felt like they had to get one of those cards to be able to play on blue squares um, instead of realizing that, like, it's not that important to not have access to those two or three squares. So then we said, okay, fine. You, It's a specialty card. You can only place on blue squares, but you can place it on any blue square and you don't have to be next to it. Uh, and then the rest is basically history. From there, it was like, okay, this is what that faction wants to do. Spies let you be mobile. Spies let you interact with uh, cities and other players that you don't, that you otherwise wouldn't have access to, which felt like, uh, you know, reconnaissance and infiltration from afar.
1: So that did open up one secondary design, and that was uh, removing a spy. Mm-hmm. So uh, with the old version, you just place it and then you forget it. The, what what the new spy rule? allowed you to do is, oh, I'm going to take back a spy and he finishes his mission, and then you get this this bigger benefit. So right. it's in, in some ways an investment of, I'm going to invest this spy here, and then I'm going to return him and put four troops down, or, mm-hmm. or I'm going to return him and, and assassinate two troops. That was like actually, that.
4: Uh, Yanni, our lead developer, came up with that mechanic um, pretty early after the design handoff to development, because the way that they worked originally is that they scaled we wanted Guile to be the end game faction. Uh, so like the, the aspect that waited for the game to go super long, you'd get four or five spies out on the board, and then when you played a card that said, uh, do something for the number of spies that you have on the board, it felt very powerful and very good. Mm-hmm. Um, and Yanni found that having it be shorter term, smaller investments with higher payoff uh, in the short term, uh, that it felt more fun and less inevitable, uh, and less like this inexorable tide of spies that you have to deal with. and. Uh, I feel like the game is a lot better for it. So that was that was him, and I think that uh, one of one of his top three ideas for sure, of all time. Like no, for the game, like he's, <laughs> he's just full of great ideas. Yeah. yeah, he's Magic is very lucky to have him, and we were we were pretty fortunate to have uh, his time as lead developer uh, on Tyrants for sure. He did he did some great things for us.
1: When when I was working on, I was one of the developers. Yanni was lead. Uh, I was sort of on the team just to help him get used to it, and. and that was about the time I transitioned from D&D over to Magic. Mm-hmm. And for me, that was extremely useful because I, I'm now, you know, here's another person on Magic RD that I got to know through through some of these projects. So the transition helped a lot.
0: Nice. That makes a lot of sense. Uh so um we we got a little bit into the weeds as to far as the individual mechanics and mm-hmm. how they evolved and worked. Uh but uh I, I think for our listeners we've got to kind of Provide more of an overview of of it's a deck builder with with community with uh, 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 territory control is mm-hmm. the the kind of top line slug line for 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 Tyrants of the Underdark. But um, how do you uh, uh, win the game? How how do how do you
4: uh, uh, I suppose that's succeed. important to know if you're yeah. talking yeah, about yeah. the, the in depth mechanics. Yeah, exactly. Do you want to take it. Or uh, sure. So um, the game is a victory point accumulation game, and the 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 person with the most victory points at the end wins. And uh, The way that you score points is uh, basically through what the aspects like doing. Um, There's, uh, you get points for uh, troops on the board. Uh, You get points for troops that you've killed. Uh, You get points for uh, having promoted cards from your deck to your inner circle, which is uh, removing them from your deck and putting them in a separate game zone so you no longer get to play those cards, but they're worth more points. Uh, And you get points for just cards in your deck at the end of the game. Uh, So purchasing cards increases your score. Controlling cities increases your score. Uh, com- uniquely controlling cities, like having a city completely under your control with no enemy spies present, no enemy troops present, is worth more points. Um, and uh, because so much, so many of the points are contestable, like on the board, you can reduce someone's score by placing troops in their cities, uh, and so many of the points are uh, hidden in your deck or whether or not you'll have the ability to promote them by the end of the game. Um, it's hard to track who is actively in the lead because they're it's, it's hard to actually determine who's in the lead. Um, and that's why uh, we think that it's it's a, a variant on victory point accumulation games where you don't really want a score tracker to tell you like this person's in the lead even though they're not. Yes. Um, but yeah, you win, you win just by focusing on whatever way you want to generate points typically guided by aspect, but everything you do is worth something. Yep. And each
0: uh, each player uh, uh, controls a in, in the lore a different house of of
1: menzoberranzan, correct? Yeah, uh, I don't remember the. F- the, the no that's okay. at yeah. the top of my yeah. head. Yeah, but they're um, the four most recognizable yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, 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 houses that you might have read about in uh, uh, the books by R.A. Salvatore. Uh, is a, it's a great resource if you want to get into lore of that. And then the idea is that you the the deck that you're building is your minions is is yep. the people that you are the house controls and they're not necessarily in fact many of them are not dark elves at all uh, right. or drow. They're 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 uh, Dragons—they could be anything. What, mm. what are some of the other cards that are in there?
1: Well, the, the start your starting deck is is made up of three uh, priestesses and seven house guards, and so those are your the core sort of not priestesses, three nobles. Nobles, sorry, yeah, three, three nobles. priestesses is the one you buy. Mm, yeah, yeah, uh, three nobles and no, seven nobles. Seven nobles, three three, three, three house guards. Yeah, uh, it's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> no reason to get in the weeds. They they will hopefully have a rule book when they have a copy of the game. That's true. That's true. Um, and, and that allows you to buy, buy uh, more uh, more minions. Um, there are four half-decks that's the term we're using. Each half-deck has 40 minions in it. Uh, when you set up the game you take two half-decks, shuffle them together and that makes up your, your market for the game. Um, the four Uh, Half decks are based on the recent, at the time, seasons for uh, uh, D&D. So there's a a, a Tyranny of Dragons deck, there is a um, Temple of Elemental Evil, Evil. there is uh, a Demon's deck, and then there's the basic Drow deck. Uh, And so we recommend you start with uh, Drow and Dragons Mm -hmm. and and shuffle that together. Uh, uh, But after, after your first game, you just mix any two of them. And each one of them has... A slightly different way of playing. Like mm-hmm. the draw one is less expensive. Uh, little little minions, sort of meat and potatoes. Uh, the dragon deck has more expensive cards in it, but otherwise um, just splashier effects. Splashier the bigger effects. versions of
4: the small effects.
1: The uh, Elemental Evil 1 has an aspect matters theme where uh, it worked really well with in the four elemental cults, each aspect lined up with one of the four elementals. Mm-hmm. So you, you have like, um, I think guile was air elementals and, and uh, uh, ambition was earth elementals. Conquest was water because they sort of flowed out. It worked really well. And then the fire was malice, malice was fire, because yeah. malice is the most destructive of the four factions, so it made sense, that fire. Uh, and then the final deck was... Um, Demons. Demons, and so you get four... E- there, there are four... Uh, Demon lords, one for each aspect in the deck. So there's Orcus and Demogorgon and Zugdamoy and
0: they can actually be your minions. Yeah, yeah. you can, time you time can
1: have time. you can have one of them in your deck. Yeah, it th- works for me. Yeah, I think for, for a now. while, yeah. for a while we were really joking around uh, with having um, Demogorgon be two different cards. And you could <laughs> yeah. have the left head and the right head of Demogorgon, yeah. and he could be in two different decks fighting each other. And that made that made sense story wise, but I think we didn't have the room for for both of them. That's it was. Funny.
4: It also wasn't great that we had to split them up between aspects. We yeah. wanted them to be the same aspect. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, it's um, each one is enough of the core game and enough of the core mechanics show up that you can have a, a game that makes sense and every game feels like Tyrants, but they're influenced by uh, the sort of theme of the deck to feel uh, significantly different in terms of like playing even the same aspect from deck to deck feels different. So if I play uh, Malice in Drow versus Malice in uh, Demons, it feels... It feels different. Like what mm-hmm. I'm doing is uh, ostensibly the same thing. Like I'm assassinating troops, but in one I'm feeding the demon my own cards, uh, and in the other I'm just I'm just killing guys. So
0: interesting. All right, cool. And so with with the way that those four half decks kind of follow the storylines of Dungeons and Dragons, and there's uh, a, a chance for a Giants themed deck uh, would, to come. I would love
1: to have that. Yeah. That'd be I would. Very love, cool. I would also love to have an undead deck. Uh, yeah, get, for, get me um, a Strahd deck, a, get me straw a deck, giant deck. You know,
4: get me just. Yeah. I, I I love this game. I'm
1: a little bit biased, but I also <laughs> love D and D, and I would like to see more decks and more D and ds So, yeah. yeah. This this is one of the most. The design of this game was one of the the best times I've had at at this company. Oh yeah, and really. And, what yeah. what made it about? It's uh, just the way that uh, Rodney and and Veen and I clicked. Uh, it it was, was a really just, great team. Yeah. Work, I mean, it's, it's sort of my D&D swan song for the, for the <laughs> near time, uh, so it's, it's been a, a great project to work on. Cool,
0: and uh, uh, so uh, we're recording this right after Origins mm-hmm. has, has occurred, and a lot of people got to, uh, the public got to see uh, Tyrants of the Underdark played for the first time, so we are getting their copies now, and it should be in stores uh, within the next few weeks. Uh, so, uh, how is, how has the response been so far? Have you guys, uh, kind of seen, <laughs> yeah. I know you weren't at Origins, but, uh, yeah. we, we saw we've, a lot of good stuff on the internet.
1: Yeah, we've been, I was texting Rodney a few days ago and, and I told him that you know oh well we've got you know it's being released at origins for the first time people are finally seeing it and he r- responded don't <laughs> don't worry i've been hitting f5 and, uh, <laughs> refreshing it every day so as game to, designer is that is that an interesting
0: thing i mean do you want to get that feedback right away is it, it is it's it, scary is it uh, like an artist it, it, dropping their, their album at the yes. same time like <laughs> it feels very much like that
1: you know I've, i yeah it it, it, it feels like People are finally seeing all the work that we did mm-hmm. and and the response has been in general pretty good. Yeah, um, for sure. Like it's we we handed it off
4: and we handed it to John Paul and Gale Force Nine. And it's just like we we have a lot of faith in that company and he was super excited to to produce it. And then it was just a bunch of waiting. And so it's been <laughs> just remembering like, did could we have made it any better? Like what changes do we do do we make at the last second? Like uh, how's how's it gonna be received? And then it's just been uh, wonderful! Like having people tell tell you that they see the decision that you made, and they had more fun because the game plays in this way. And it's like, yeah, you know, we worked hard on that. That took us a week, but I'm glad that you noticed it in your first playthrough. It's interesting
1: nice. reading through the the uh, uh, the review. Isn't like. Uh, we've just been noting, like, oh, that was our design, one of our design pillars. No, there's a design pillar. There's a design pillar. Yep. <laughs> basically, oh, wow. all yeah. these people in the review is saying, yeah, this was that, th- something, calling out something that they liked, and it's like, yeah, that was something that was that, important. That, to that us. was important to us. Yeah, and oh, that's so cool. and the, the, part of part of what made
0: what the were some? Team- of, oh, sorry to interrupt, but what were some of those that people were calling out, like that you guys had in like the the, the pillar design document? Put, put me on the spot. I know. So, but, I so g- I like the,
4: details. Th- word, um, Every one of us had a different design pillar, I would say, and so mm-hmm. like looking at what Pete thought was important, so uh, it was very like make it approachable, make it accessible, uh, have the game feel like you're making good decisions the whole way, have nothing be a bad decision. Um, that show that shined through. So someone said like I sat down and I feel like if I took this off the shelf, uh, there isn't someone in my game group that won't enjoy it. And so that's one- that's all from Pete. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was someone who said, like, oh, man, I really like trashing cards for veeps, and it's it's a lot of fun to, to play that aspect, but I feel like I don't have to do that. Like, there's plenty of ways to win, and that was something that was very important to me, was mm. diversify from other deck builders and make each path to victory important. Um, and then someone said, you know, I really liked playing with spies, and that was, uh, Yanni said, I really want to make sure that this faction lands and works. So it was basically seeing, like, this is a, a deck builder slash territory control game that doesn't seem to have a uh, built in way to win. That's accessible. Uh, it's replayable and it plays in uh, an hour ish. Uh, we're all goals that we had just like on a whiteboard, uh, and to have people in reviews say this is what I saw about the game. It's like okay, sweet, way nice. to go, whiteboard, nailed it. <laughs> yeah. You guys have been walking around with your hands up in the air yeah, yeah, for the yeah. rest of like we, the rest of the
1: week. Yeah, we've been we've been. On I don't know if Cloud Nine Footing, is the right floating on term. <laughs> Gale, Gale Force Cloud Nine. Yeah, Gale Force <laughs> Cloud Nine for, for the last uh, you know week just seeing everyone play it and. Awesome. We, we we want to get a, a lunchtime game together so as bad. soon as possible. I know the so. the awful
0: irony is that everybody has been out playing it in the public, and there are no copies here <laughs> yeah, in the on, building. Yeah, I
4: want f- to go. track down our prototype. You probably still have somewhere the prototype somewhere, somewhere. somewhere. I don't.
1: I actually don't know where. It actually, was no. I think it Nine has the prototype. I think, I think it was sent out. So yeah, I don't. I don't think we have the the, the the prototype. And that's Interesting. Just the, the most heartbreaking. Thing yeah, is we we'll will. get them soon. The whole week we've been. Wanting to play, we had a we had an offsite in Friday, and I wanted to bring the game just so I could show it to other people in the department. Yep. So we're just like you guys.
0: We're you know if you haven't weren't at Origins, weren't able to pick up a copy, then we're just like you. We're waiting for it to show up in stores, uh, and it should be any 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 week now. Uh, so uh, if anybody has any questions about uh, uh, Terrence the Underdog, how can they find you? Uh, are you guys on Twitter? Where where,
1: where yeah, would you uh, look? I am on Twitter. Uh, you can find me uh, under Mini Pete. M I N I P E T uh, E, one word.
4: I'm just my my name in those spaces, so Andrew Veen, A-N-D-R-E-W-V-E-E-N. Nice.
0: Way to way to get that. Yeah, yeah. I
4: jumped jumped on that quick. Yeah, all I tried. I Vines tried, but he already took it. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I want to be Andrew Bean too. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> awesome. Cool. Well, uh, I can't wait to see more public response for this. I love this game too. I got. I was really excited to be able to play test it a little bit uh, uh, last summer, and uh, I've been kind of following it along uh, as as it's been happening, going from stage to stage to stage. So I'm excited for for people to get it in the public, and you know, I, I think this is going to be one of those games where people pick it up at a convention and then play it all convention long, and and uh, you know. Or or pick it up and bring it to their summer vacation cabin thing, and just end up playing one game uh, uh, all week long because it's it's got that kind of addictive feel to it. Where as mm-hmm. soon as you finish it, you want to go right back in. And That's when we knew different. we had
4: a hit. Is when we we kept trying to do this, and everyone who played it in the uh, for like during during the one hour playtesting meeting we set aside for it. It's like oh cool, we just finished this. Do you guys want to play again at lunch? Yeah. It's like yes, we absolutely do. So that's a good sign. <laughs>
0: yeah. Each time, each time Pete was like, "Hey, you want to play?" I'm like, "Yes!" I dropped everything. I dropped everything I was doing. I'm like, "I'm going to start playing right away." So cool. Thank you guys. Thank you so much for designing a really yeah. fun game. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, we'll we'll check it out, and hopefully more people will will love it, and we'll see more decks soon. Great. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Uh, that was amazing. I was so glad we got to talk to uh, them about the ins and the outs, of the mechanics. Shelly, I know you weren't I'm even so here when it was glad happening. You got to talk to them. <laughs> I'm sure it was like the best podcast
2: ever. When we
0: listen to all of it, this edited together by the uh, immaculate reception of Ryan, Marth, it's going to be amazing.
2: It is, yeah.
0: He's just over there. No being pressure. Like, I'm right. done. I got no. He's got no energy left. Yeah, he's been sitting in this little
1: echoey room for. For Dave. far too
0: long. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening. Uh, this has been Dragon Talk. If you're interested in more uh, live play type sessions, you go check out Dungeon Delve. It's on iTunes. Uh, we moved all of the old episodes uh, of Chris Perkins and uh, others playing Dungeons & Dragons live uh, to Dungeon Delve. So all you find out all about uh, Actions Incorporated how those characters and that party got started there. Uh, it's a great way to kind of track uh, and learn about the storyline there leading up to uh, PAX West, which is happening in a few months as well. So go ahead and check it out there. Cool. And, uh, of course, do rate and review both of those things, uh, uh, those podcasts, so that more people can discover the fun of Dungeons of Dragons. I think that'd be great. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. Thank we'll you. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.